Hey, listen, um, I want to talk to you today from Galatians chapter 4. So turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, and I'll turn there too. Usually when I send scriptures to Lynn, I send him four or five verses here or there. I send him the whole chapter, and in parentheses I put, sorry so long. So uh, uh, we're not going to actually hit the whole chapter, I don't think, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, Galatians chapter 4. We've talked about Galatians, and we've talked about how in Galatians, Paul is trying to help the Galatians understand that the group of men that came after Paul to the area came teaching them things that weren't the true gospel or the true quote-unquote good news. They, they came teaching them that it was Jesus plus something else equals salvation. They came because of some political things that were going on in Jerusalem. We've looked at that. They all, you know what else they did? They actually came and they said, listen, Paul's just trying to people please. He's just trying to get you to like him. He's just trying to be popular. So he's telling you this stuff, but it's not true. The reality is, is that you have to do this and this and this and this, plus you have to accept Christ. And if you don't do those things, then you aren't saved. Well, Paul then addresses those things in the first and second chapter. And we went through extensively the first and second chapters of Galatians. And he says, listen, I'm not trying to please people. I'm not, if I were trying to please people, I wouldn't be following God. Can I tell you guys something? That's true for me and you too. Please God, all right? Please God. Don't try to please people. He then goes through and talks about how the things that they were being taught were not, were not the proper things. And last week we looked at this. Paul's saying, what were you, what are you thinking? What in the world are you thinking? And we talked about how a lot of times when we get on the wrong path, how we have the ability to turn it around, but a lot of times we don't choose that. We don't choose to turn it around because of pride, because we, we aren't in the place where we think we need to be, we think we have to be perfect to turn it around. And, all. and the truth of the matter is, like the prodigal son, we just have to get up and walk back toward God. So what we have to do, we have to get up and walk back toward the Father. And so we looked at that this week. This week is going to be a little different. We're still in the section where Paul is telling them specifically. And the area that we're in is very personal to Paul. It's very personal. You've got to remember something. I know we're reading the Bible, but here's the thing I want you to understand. This is not something that is not personal to him. He can see the faces of the people that he's writing to, he can see their faces as he's writing this letter to them. Are you with me? So if it were me, and this was happening in this church, and I had gone on to the promised land, not to heaven, Tennessee, had I I done that, all right, had I done it, and, and and I heard negative things, it would be like me writing back, and as I'm writing back, you know, I would be thinking about Kip and RJ and Marla, and I would be thinking about about Mason and, and, and Kim, and I'd be thinking about Cindy, and, and, I'd be, and as I'm writing, going, listen, you, you were taught better. You know that what I'm telling you is the truth. You know what I did when I was with you, and so he gets kind of personal here, and today's message is kind of personal. It's kind of personal. So let's read from Galatians chapter 4. 
it says this. Think of it this way. He's talking about how to be kids, how to be children of God. And he says this. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up. Even though they actually own everything their father had, they have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father sets. And that's the way it is. it was with us before Christ came. We were like children, says. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And I love this. this is when I love this. Prompting us to call out Abba, Father, which literally means Daddy, Daddy. Now you are no longer a slave but God's own child. And since you were his child, God has made you his heir. And then it says this, before you Gentiles knew God, and so he's switching over. He's telling them this. He said, hey, wait a minute. This is what happened. Before, before you were trying to follow God because of these basic principles of the world. Can I tell you something? And I said this last week. God's truth is all truth. All truth is God's truth. If something is true, it's God's truth. Now, it doesn't matter what arena it's in. If there is truth to be had, it's God's truth. He's talking about the basic principles. Those are the things that we know of, and we see those in the Old Testament. We see all of the basic principles in the Old Testament. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, listen, you lived your life by those basic principles, but what you were doing is you were trying to meet some standard and you learned very quickly it was unattainable. But your whole mindset was, if I can meet this standard, then I can go to heaven. But we never experienced heaven on earth. We didn't have an eternal mindset we had a temporal mindset. We had a mindset of just the world, our daily lives. We walk through our daily lives. That's what Paul's saying. But he said, it would be like if you had to wait for this huge inheritance. Between the time when the inheritance came and whenever, say, your father or mother passed away, between that time, you would still have to follow these rules and regulations in order to receive the inheritance. And he's saying this, he's saying, but Jesus came. And what he's meaning here is that he came so that we would no longer have to wait. That we would not, we would not have to wait for that inheritance. What is he really saying? He's saying this, heaven came down to earth. And now we are not people or citizens. And I told you guys this a couple of weeks ago. We are not citizens of America. We are first citizens of heaven. And so we are to have an eternal perspective. The minute you decide to give your life over to Christ, you become a citizen in heaven. You, your perspective all changes. It's why we have the ability to see things that happen in our lives. It's why we have the ability to literally see that every one of us will die one day. And why most of us should, if not... We, you should not fear that. 
The majority of people fear dying. They fear things happening. They worry about stuff. But we, because we have an eternal perspective, we don't have to do that. And that's what he's talking about. And then he picks up with it. And he says, before you Gentiles knew God, you were slave to the so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You were trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days of the month or seasons or years. I fear for you. Perhaps all my work for you was for nothing. What exactly is he talking about there? Here's what happens a lot of times, you guys. A lot of times what we'll do is we'll have an episode. I would dare say that the majority of you here have had an episode. You've had an episode to where you have decided you are either going to follow Jesus. The pastor may have said, give your heart over to Jesus. Um, Get saved. All right. I'm not sure what lingo was used whenever you decided you were going to become a Jesus follower if you have. But the majority of us has probably had some kind of situation where we've decided I am going to do this Christian thing. All right. But what happens a lot of times is this, is that a lot of the things that we were slave to before we decided to give our life over to Christ, we carry those things into the new life that we're supposed to have with Jesus as well. Those things don't pass away like they're supposed to. We wear the same clothes, quote unquote, that we're, we, we wore before we were saved. We deal with the same issues. And, and, and because we don't have an eternal perspective, because our perspective is temporal, what happens is, is that we end up living a life that's no different than it was before we actually, quote unquote, gave our lives to Christ. That's what we do. And that's what Paul's talking about. We are slaves. Literal slaves to the same stuff that we were slaves with before. But that's not what the word of God says that we're supposed to be about. And that's not who we're supposed to be. And I want you to understand, if you're still dealing with all of those things that you've always dealt with, chances are you're either not following Jesus or you're not following close enough. All right? More than likely, what you're trying to do is you're trying to fix everything yourself. That's probably what's happening. That's exactly what the Galatians were doing. See, it's very uncomfortable to, and we're going to talk about freedom next week. It's very uncomfortable whenever you step into something new. Whenever you allow Jesus to take over your life, it's very uncomfortable. It is. And I'm not sure if it was uncomfortable for you, but it was uncomfortable for me. Because can I tell you something? I kind of like getting ticked off all the time. I did. I kind of liked it. You know, gave me a little bit of a rush. It did. Let me tell you a story. I'm going to get from, I'm going to pull from a very, see us, us pastors, we like pulling from these deep theological books and these deep theological concepts. All right. So I was watching The Walking Dead. All right. There's a scene in The Walking Dead where Morgan, everybody know who Morgan is? Yeah. Yeah. Me and two people. All right. Uh, Right there, bro. I'm with you. Right here. Morgan has kind of gone off the deep end. In in non-Christian terms, he's kind of nutted up. 
All right, you know what I'm saying? That's what's kind of happened. He's kind of nutted up, and, and he, ends up, he ends up getting kind of captured by this guy out in the woods. The guy actually has, the guy actually has a jail cell inside of his house. So the scene opens up, and it's Morgan enraged. He's breathing hard, and he's, he's sitting on the floor, and he's looking around, and he looks over out the window, and there's this guy out there doing all these different things with his bow staff. I don't know about any of that mess. If you do, that's good. But it looks like somebody, an adult grown man playing with a stick. All right, that's what it looks like to me. He's all over the place, and Morgan's like watching him, and, and he takes like, finds this little file thing, and he starts filing away at the window. He tries to pull the window open. It's not open. He starts filing away at the window. And he's enraged, man. And he's filing away at the window. And he files around the side. And he files around on this side. And he files around on that side. And it will not come open. And the guy comes in. And Morgan hides everything. And he's still just like enraged. You know, he wants to get out of that place. He's so angry that he's even in there. Who is this guy to put him in this cage? He's so angry. He's not some kind of animal. And the guy begins to talk to him. And he begins to interact with him. And Morgan asked him a question. He said, if, I, if I'm not a prisoner here, if I'm not a slave here, why do you got me in this cell? And the guy walks over. Best scene ever, besides like when they get their heads cut off and everything. But anyway, so he, he takes the jail cell door and he just opens it up. It was unlocked the whole time. He could have walked out whenever he wanted to. He was free. But he was so focused on the anger. He was so focused on his emotions that he had himself locked up. The same exact thing is true for you and for me. If you're following Christ, I want you to know you're free. I want you to know that the jail cell of slavery that you have yourself hemmed in I want you to know that the door's open. It's open. All you have to do, you don't have to start trying to look for 10 different ways to get out. You don't have to get a file and try to file away the window. It's open. And all you have to do is get up and walk out. There's a million things that we can be slave to. I thought I'd highlight three of them today. The first one is this. We oftentimes are slaves to our past. We are slaves to our past. The problem with the Galatians was that they were slaves to their past and they couldn't understand that God had come down and was wanting to do a new thing in their lives. They were so uncomfortable walking in the way that Jesus wanted them to in full freedom that they needed to go back and get the checkbox and start checking the box off again. And we do the same thing. We are oftentimes slave to our past. Here's how it happens. Bad things happen to us. Bad things happen to us. Let's be honest and say that bad things happen to all of us, okay? But some of you guys may have had worse things happen than other people. Bad things happen to you. And so instead of, instead of taking that and taking the steps that you need to take to rid yourself of those things, 
instead of doing the work it takes to rid yourself of those things, what you do is, is you live in a perpetual state of woe is me. All right? Woe is me. I'm not diminishing whatever happened to you. I'm not diminishing, you know, we have, there's all kinds of different sins. And one of the sins that occurs is sins of other people that just kind of fall on to us. Are you with me? They just kind of fall on to us. And, and we've all had similar situations like that. Yours may be much worse, but I want to tell you the truth. You can keep letting that affect your, who you are today and your future, but all you're doing is sitting in the corner of a jail cell when the door is wide open. Some of us have done the opposite. Some of us have been the ones that have made the mistakes. Some of us have been the ones that have actually done the things that we are ashamed of or that we have, we have guilt over. But I want you to understand something. If God says in his word that if we ask for forgiveness, that he will forgive us and that our sins will be as far as from the east from the west, if he's willing to send his own son in order for you to be free, I want to encourage you to accept the freedom and forgive yourself. Maybe you need to do that. Why is it that we will continually be a slave to our past and to past things we've messed up and past things that people have done to us and past experiences? We let those things ruin our entire lives. And I want to tell you something, and you may not want to hear this, but I want to tell you anyway. If we, don't allow, if we don't address those things, what happens is that those things get passed down to the next generation who are your children. Are you with me? Are you with me? They get passed down to your children. They do. They do. I have a friend of mine who, whenever she was in freshman and sophomore year in high school, really junior year too, she made some horrible decisions and horrible mistakes. I mean, it was, she made some really, really bad choices in her, you know, in her freshman, sophomore, and junior year. And I met her halfway through her junior year, and she was so burdened by those mistakes. She actually had ended up giving her life over to Christ, but she was so burdened by those mistakes that they affected her. And she wouldn't hardly even talk about it. I would say, well, hey, listen, you seem like a really great person. Uh, you know, you, you're, you know, you're, you're yeah, I, I, I know, but I just, I, I've done some things that I'm really ashamed of. Okay, well, what are they? Well, I'm not going to talk about them. But it was almost like it was a constant thing in her life. She ended up dating a guy starting her senior year, and actually the first year into college. She dated him for about two and a half years. And can I tell you something? He was a piece of work. He was a piece of work. And it was chaos. It was chaos. Because you see, whether you want to admit this or not, you marry, you hang out with, you, you will put up with those that are at about the same level of, of emotionally and physical and spiritual health as you are. Are you with me? And that's what happened, that's what happened with her. She would not address those issues. And so really, who she would allow into her life was so minimized that this guy literally made her life a living hell. To the point where... He actually, when they broke up, stalked her to the point where she had to get the police involved. Horrible situation. 
And it was at that point where she finally said, either God's God or he's not, and I'm walking out of this, and I'm not putting up with this anymore. And she gave her life fully. Now, she was already walking with Jesus. She was wanting to, but she fully dove in to who God was and what God had for her. And she ended up getting married to a godly man. She has four godly boys. She is a godly woman doing godly things. 20-something years later, what if she hadn't made the decision to do that? What if she hadn't decided that she was not going to let her past ruin her? What if she, listen, 2 Corinthians 5 says this. It says in verse 17, it says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, so if you belong to Christ, if I belong to Christ, anyone who belongs to Christ becomes a new person. And the scripture says this. It says that the old is gone, and it says that the new life has begun. But I want to tell you something. You can't begin that new life if you're going to sit in the corner of a jail cell and be a slave to those things that have happened in your past. You can't do it. I love what Rick Warren says. Rick Warren says this. He says, many of us are harboring things in our hearts that God has long since forgiven and forgotten. Yet we won't forgive ourselves. Satan's favorite tool is to paralyze us with the past and manipulate us with the memories. But Isaiah 43 says this, and I love this verse. It says, hey, listen, I am about to do a new thing. See, I want you to understand, I've already begun. Do you not see it? You can hear God saying, do you not see it? I will make this pathway for you. Do you not see it? Can't you see that I've already started doing a new thing? Walk in that new thing. The scripture says that we are a new creation in 2 Corinthians. Don't let your past keep you a slave in your present life. You'll be miserable and you'll live a miserable life. The second thing that I can think of that really is prevalent among society today is becoming a slave to our finances and becoming a slave to our lifestyles. We do that so, so much here in America. We buy into the lie that more is better and that we have to have this and we have to have that. You know, I tell a story oftentimes of a friend of mine who is a multi-gazillionaire. I mean, he's close to it. He is a multi-gazillionaire, and I've talked about him a little bit. He, he owns a mortgage company, and he has tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of money. In the hundreds of millions of dollars is what he has. But can I tell you what he doesn't have? He doesn't have peace. Are you with me? He doesn't have peace, and he doesn't have his family anymore because he and his wife got a divorce. Matter of fact, his wife is with another guy who's a godly man now, and she decided she wasn't going to live in that anymore. She, was going to be, she wanted to be married to, a, to, a, to, a, to someone who was, wanted to be married to her and not be married to their jobs. But all you could say is, is that he wants the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. But let me tell you something. There's no end to that. And so he's miserable now. He's miserable now. Oh, from the outside, he looks great on all the commercials. He's on TV commercials. He's on all those kind of things. He's at big sporting events, but can I tell you something? I know him personally. I know how he is, and he's miserable. He's miserable. But he has all the money in the world. It's worthless. I share that story a lot, but one story I don't share is this. I've got another friend in a similar circumstance. His is a little different. His grandfather was one of the first men to begin, he actually helped have a, a railroad track put into Alabama 
in an area of Alabama so they could log all of his land. The railroad company actually, he had so much land, they actually built a, a railroad system into his property so they could haul all the logs off of it. He is worth a lot of money. He inherited this money from his grandparents. He did. But can I tell you something? He's got money, but money doesn't have him. And he decided that he was going to do good with this. And so he began, totally different person. He decided that he was going to take some of this money and go, and he was going to get his doctorate degree in counseling so he could help people. And that's what he does today. And he lives a very modest life. As a matter of fact, if you were to meet him, you'd never know he had a penny. You'd never know anything about him. You'd just know he was a great guy who was a follower of Jesus with a beautiful wife and a beautiful kid. But we get hung into that we have to have it. This past Tuesday, while all you guys were picking up sticks out of your yard, I was anxiously awaiting the grand arrival. No, not of a child of mine, of the iPhone 8. You know? I had some guy that wanted to meet me for lunch, and I was like, I guess I can meet you for lunch. Luckily, he got sick halfway through lunch, so I was able to go watch the thing. I'm just kidding. He, he did get sick, but I wasn't happy about it. I was maybe a little happy about it, but, but he was fine. Um, but I, I, I scheduled lunch, and I was like, mm, crap, I scheduled lunch during the stupid iPhone thing. I want to watch it. And so I did what any godly man would do. I went to Best Buy and stood there at the computer and watched it. And they get, you know, Best Buy's got to where they'll just bug you to death. They came by, and they were like, hey, can I help you? I said, no, I'm just nerding out on this iPhone thing. Come by, hey, can I help you? No, I'm, I'm still nerding out on the iPhone thing. Oh, really? Yeah, cool, cool. Ten minutes later, can I help you? Still nerding out, still here. <laughs> no, not really, man. I'm just kind of taking up space, using your Internet. But I watched it. I watched it. And something they say is so funny every year. They say, this is the best ever. All right? That's baloney. It is. It's so easy to get dragged. Let me say something. It's okay if you want an iPhone 10 and an iPhone 8 or whatever. I don't care what kind of phone you have. All right? So don't judge me when you see me with my new cool toy. All right? Just don't do it. All right, but if, if you buy those things and you don't have the margin in your budget to buy those things, those things have you. You don't have those things. Are you with me? Are you with me? We get so accustomed to our lifestyles. We get so, we get so accustomed to wanting these things, and those things fade away. I, was at, I literally watched that on Tuesday, and Wednesday morning, I was at breakfast with some of our students. And one of our students had a phone that was just like mine. And it's a good phone. So, hey, you like your phone? Oh, it's a piece of crap. Piece of crap, man. I was like, dude, like nine months ago, it wasn't a piece of crap, right? I mean, you were like, remember that? You were so happy. Oh, I can't believe it. I've got this. Oh, I had to have it. And now all of a sudden, oh, piece of crap. I hate it. Slow. That's how we are. And it would be really funny if it was just the teenagers but I've seen you adults do the same thing. We become slaves to whatever the next thing is. We become slaves to our lifestyle. We become slaves to our money. Can I tell you something? You don't have to worry about your finances. God has you. 
If you can trust him with your eternal life, if you can trust him with your eternal life, surely you can trust him to give you a hamburger if you need it. Are you with me? Now, we may not go to a Ruby Tuesdays to get a hamburger. It may be crystal, all right? You may get the extra pickle, all right? But it's going to be a hamburger, and you're going to be fine. And you can trust him. We become slaves to our past, you guys. We become slaves to stuff and, and, and finances and lifestyle. Like I said, there's a lot of things. The final thing, though, is this. We become a slave oftentimes to repetitive sins. To repetitive sins. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to stop right now just for a second, okay? And if you're with someone here, like if you're you know, engaged or a husband and wife, don't whisper your husband's sin in his ear, all right? Don't do that. that that's tacky, all right? But a lot of us are slaves to repetitive sin. I want you to think right now just for a second. I want us to get kind of quiet. What is that one thing that you wish you didn't do? What is that one thing that you wish you didn't do? What is it? What is that one thing that consumes you? You think about it when you wake up in the morning. And you pick it up and you carry it with you all day. What is that one thing that consumes you? The scripture calls a sin that is a repetitive sin that happens over over again. There are levels of effectiveness of sin. I want you to know that. If you have a sin that you continually struggle with, eventually what will happen is you will struggle and you will struggle and you will struggle and it will get bigger and bigger and it will become what the scriptures called a stronghold. All right? A stronghold. So it will become a stronghold in your life. And then from that point, if it continues to be a stronghold, The Old Testament talks about how those strongholds eventually become what the Old Testament calls an iniquity, that Isaiah calls an iniquity. Do you know what an iniquity is? An iniquity is a sin that has become a stronghold and a stronghold that has become part of your character and part of who you are. Does anyone know anyone that's just defined by always being ticked off, by always having anger? And you say this, well, you know what? Their daddy was like that too. And so was their granddad. And on and on. That's called an iniquity. That's what it is. A lot of us have these repetitive sins that we're slave to. And we're sitting in a corner of a jail cell when the door's open and all we have to do is walk out. I know that because the scripture says that when Jesus came... He came and he took our sins and our iniquities. He didn't just take our sins. He took our sins and our iniquities. It means Jesus came not only to remove the sin, but to change your character. Are you with me? Not only to remove your sin, but to change your character. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 1 through 5 says this. It says this, it says, Now I, Paul, appeal to you with the gentleness 
and kindness of Christ, though I realize you think I am timid in person and, and bold only when I write from far away. And let's keep going. It says this. It says, well, I am begging you now so that when I come, I won't have to be bold with those who think we act from human motives. And it goes on to say this. It says, but we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. And let's keep going. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock, I want you to get this, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. And we're almost at the end. We destroy every proud uh, obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thought and teach them to obey Christ. You know why it says we capture their rebellious thoughts? Because if you have a repetitive sin and it becomes a stronghold, here's what happens. The scriptures there, if you look at the Greek, it actually means that whenever, whenever you, whenever you actually have a stronghold, that the sin itself has actually literally in your mind, in your thoughts, it has literally built up a wall, a partition. And the truth on one side can't get to what's on the other side. And the only thing that can tear down that stronghold is the Word of God. That's it. The only thing, that's why it says we destroy, we destroy everything that does what? That raises itself up in our minds. We destroy that with the Word of God, which is the truth. You don't have to deal with those repetitive sins. You don't have to do that. Are we ever going to be perfect? Not until we get to heaven. But I can tell you this. You don't have to allow those things to get so big that you have to tie them onto your bumper when you get ready to go to work and drag them with you. You know what I'm saying? I've often said this. It would be amazing if I could spiritually just snap my fingers and I can see all of the baggage that all you guys brought in here. Can I tell you, we probably wouldn't be able to sit by each other as close as we are. You may not even be able to see me because it's so high up. But Jesus says this. He says, hey, listen, I came so that we can destroy those things. You don't have to sit in a jail cell in the corner with the door open. You can live a life. You can live a life of freedom. And that's the life I want to give you. That's the life I want you to walk in. Don't be a slave to repetitive sin. Don't be a slave to stuff. Don't be a slave, and there's all kinds of them. Don't be a slave to your past. God has a bigger and a better plan for us. Don't be like Morgan, trying to figure everything out on your own. When in reality, the door's wide open. You just have to go walk out. Just have to go walk out. Walk out into the uncomfortableness, the awkward, uncomfortable grace and mercy that God gives you. It's uncomfortable, you guys, because we've never done it before. It's not who we were when we were raised. It's not who we were whenever we were growing up. A lot of the people that we are around, I had the same situation. My parents didn't know who the heck I was when I came home after I, got, I gave my life to Christ. They're like, I don't know who this is, but we don't like it. And I respectfully said, well, you're going to have to deal with it because I'm not turning back. And I didn't. It's uncomfortable. 
but it's worth it. Let me pray for you. God, so glad for the hearts here. I'm so glad for the people who are open to what God's doing uh, and what you're doing, God. I'm so glad that, that uh, Lord, just like the scripture says, you don't want us to have to wait in order to live a life that's holy. You don't want us to have to jump through hoops and you don't want us to have to wait, God. What you want from us is, is you want from us to, like Romans 12, one says, you want us to embrace the life that God has for us. You want us to embrace the life, God, that you have. And so, Lord, my prayer for everyone here is that they would embrace the life that you have for them. Not embrace religion, not embrace checklist, not embrace those things, but embrace the life that you would have for them. And God, as you do that, as you make changes in their life, God, we're not going to take, gonna take the, uh, the glory for it. We'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.